Well, like I had said, this, we're in the fourth part. We're kind of on the little teeter-totter right here of our seven-part series. We had our first three. We're going to close it down with our last three. This one's the, the fulcrum. This one's right in the middle. And it is uh, no coincidence that we are talking today about the anchor for our soul. And uh, let's just go ahead and get into our notes. If uh, you're new with us, you'll, your little pretty bulletin, I have some fill-in-the-blanks on the inside. It lets you kind of cruise along with us and take notes right along. Um, this has been our launching concept. I want you, if you, for seven weeks, if you get nothing else out of this, I want you to get this, that God's desire is to continually grow us from the inside out. This growth is in the area of our mind, our will, and our emotions, or our soul. We've hit on it every week, every week, that when we accept Christ, the new birth makes us heaven ready immediately. Boom, we are, we are, we are ready for heaven. We have been born again. Now, we still have all of these old life habits kind of hanging on us. We get this picture, okay, we get this picture of it with uh, the resurrection of Lazarus, okay? Lazarus dies, everybody's freaking out, and they're like, Jesus, if you'd have just been here a little earlier, guys, we're missing some up there at the top too. Um, he said, if you'd have just been here a little earlier, then he, he wouldn't have, you could have just healed him, but now he's dead and all hope is lost. And this is where Jesus first proves, boom, that he has power over, over death as well. Now, Lazarus has been in the cave, stinking dead for four days. So he says, move the stone. And they're like, oh, Lord, he, he's going he's gonna to smell. You know, this isn't a good idea. And he's, move it away. And then he speaks and simply says, Lazarus, come forth. Okay? Now, with Jesus' resurrection, he had death clothes around him he had that what they had wrapped him in they had the 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 linen piece of linen across his face he had that on him as well but whenever the disciples run in and at him they find them all there still in the tomb when jesus was resurrected bodily he was <clears throat> all of that was left behind but when lazarus was resurrected bodily he comes out and he hops out of there and he's still got all this stuff wrapped around him. He's alive again and still has his, the, the, the death clothes on him, the, the burial wraps on him. And Jesus tells people, go and unwrap him. Go and get that stuff off of him. Okay? Why on earth did Jesus' resurrection, all that stuff got left behind. Lazarus' resurrection, all of that stuff is still, he's... All of a sudden has new life in him, but he's got this stuff on him. It gives us this picture of when we receive the new life of Christ. Whenever we are born again, there will still be the stuff that life has put on us. That we have to go through this process. And it's, it's not there and go, okay, well, I'm alive and I'm alive in Christ and this is still here. God didn't remove it, so he must want it on me. No, because Jesus says, hey, take it off of him. We've got to get it unwrapped. We've got to get it off of us. And there is this process, and I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. That God uses other people to bring that process about. We see the process of our soul being regenerated. We are, life is on the inside. 
He is a, Lazarus was alive, alive, alive on the inside of those deals. And he just had to get that other junk off. You and I are going through this process of our souls being transformed, of them stepping from death to life as well as, as we are being renewed in our mind, our will, and our emotions. But that life is on the inside the whole time, okay? And remember, we have to have this solid. Otherwise, we'll get, we'll, we'll get messed up, and we'll get into this in just a minute. But Third John <clears throat> 1, 2, again, beloved in regard to all things, I pray that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Everything, your whole life hinges on you allowing God to regenerate your mind, your will, and your emotions. And as we move through life, our hope in Christ will anchor us so that we do not drift in our growth process. Because see, we're trying to get from point A to point B. But drift can happen. We can look up midway and go, wait a second, I was aiming over here. Why am I over here? My first time for me to really experience this was my first trip to Mexico. And I did not go the way you're supposed to go. We went to Big Ben State Park, playing in the Rio Grande. And I thought it would be cool to swim across, go to Mexico, stand on the shore. Woo, I'm in Mexico. Swim back. So that's what I did. I swam to Mexico, was in Mexico, swam back. And, uh, but of course, the Rio Grande is a river. And it's just, it was, it's real big and wide, and it just looks kind of like a long lake. But there's this current through there. So I had swam across and didn't really pay much attention. I didn't pick a point on the other side. But coming back, I saw, okay, that's where my family is. That's where I want to swim to. So I'm swimming, and I get about halfway up, and my family is way down there. And I'm still swimming, and pretty soon I start trying to swim towards them, and then all I'm doing is fighting the current. Pretty soon I had to figure out if I'm going to get out of here, I just get to the edge, and then I'll get back over. But the current caused drift. I was drifting along. It was pushing. I was aiming for over here. I was ending up over here. We all experience that at times in our soul. We get up in the morning and say, you know what? I'm going to have a good day. I'm going to have a good day. And we step into the current of life. And whether it was the shirt you wanted to wear was dirty or the kids started screaming, or the car battery was dead, or the assignment from the boss was forgotten about, or whatever, the current of life begins to cause you to drift, and things start happening in your soul you never meant to take place. We get this thing called drift. We need an anchor. Hebrews 6.19 says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, for our mind, our will, our emotions, for the person that we are, firm and secure, and it enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. Now, this makes no sense if you don't understand. Enters the sanctuary behind the curtain. What, what does that mean? If you don't understand what, what Jesus did and, the, and all of the Jewish celebration, there was the... the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God was, and there was a veil, there was a curtain that was there that separated, and you could only go so far, 
and you did not go any further. And once a year, somebody went in through a big ritual and went behind the curtain, sprinkled some blood on the mercy seat for the nation of Israel, and came back. And see, this anchor was like being reaching up under that curtain and being... It is solid. The mercy seat is forever taken care of. We don't have to worry about it. We're not concerned. It enters in. This is our hope in Christ. This is us having salvation. And this should be an anchor to our soul. When we understand that we are right with God, no matter how how this thing plays out, that we're right with God, even if we lose it a little bit, all of a sudden it begins to pull the pressure off and we have this anchor to our soul. We have this anchor that we can hold fast to. We don't have to get into this thing of living by works mentality or trying to perform just right for God. That He loves us no matter what. And it becomes this anchor, our hope in Christ is this anchor. And Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is our hope. That old little kid song, he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the, the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient, thank you God, he must be. Because he's still working on me. That concept that I can go to the mirror and not hang my head in shame because I'm not the guy I know God wants me to be because it's okay. I'm a work in progress. That is an anchor. Ha <laughs> ha yes! The big, this, this isn't the big reveal. This isn't the big end on... You know, on the, the extreme home makeover, you know, at this point, if they'd had to pull the curtain back on Brandon and go, hey, America, this is what we did with him. It'd be the equivalent of like all the electrical stuff hanging out and, and you know, only half the drywall up. And people are like, seriously, Ty, this is the best you could do for the Clark family. Move that yellow dog bus. I mean, it was just sad. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work out. And that's what we think. We want to have this great moment with God and there be this big one-moment change and this big reveal and now we can step out and be seen as this wonderful, finished masterpiece. You know, very few people get invited over to somebody's house when they're in the middle of remodeling their kitchen. You know, very few people go, hey, guess what? I want you to see my pipes. Come over. I want you to check this out. Isn't this awesome? Can you believe there was that much termite damage? Look at that. We're getting that fixed. Check this out. No. No, only the closest of people, only people you have to let into your house in the middle of that get in. The people that have to live there. People that you're like, oh, man, the relatives are coming. Please forgive the house. Please, I'm so sorry. We see those signs all over. They're over at the mall. We're redecorating. Please, we're remodeling. Please forgive us. We're so sorry. So many times we hang our heads sheepishly like that because we, we don't want people to see those pieces 
of our, <clears throat> of our life. And guess what? When we're in Christ, that's the process we're all going through. We're all going through. And you know what? When somebody decides that they're going to get all full of themselves and they think that they've hit it and they start presenting themselves as the perfect Christian, I tell you what, it grates all of us. There's that thing of that Christian hypocrisy that everybody in the world talks about. They're a bunch of hypocrites. We all hate it. It stinks in God's nostrils. It stinks in everybody's nostrils. Why? Because all of us are in process. We all are. We all are. And so as we're going through this, this hope, this hope is our anchor. <clears throat> our hope in Christ lets us stay the course. It gives us this <clears throat> confidence to stay in process and not bail out halfway through. Now, as we look at this, this whole process of drifting, that drifting happens when we go either from grace to legalism or when we just get weary and quit. See, we, we come to Christ, whether it is in a service like this or in the privacy of your own home or a friend leads you to, to, to Christ or, or finally all the pieces come together and you realize, man, Jesus did that for me. I embrace this new life and you are born again and you get hungry and this desire to grow is there and, and allow God to transform you and then the currents of life begin to come in and as things don't begin to completely play out like you thought they would and drift happens, it happens one of these two ways. You either decide, okay, this grace thing is entirely too much. I can't handle grace. Give me some rules. Give me some rules. I'm going to do this, not do this, da, 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 da. and so I can't do this whole follow the, the spirit thing. I'm going to go back to rules, 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 and then I'll be able to be a good little Christian based on that because I'm in process and my, my failures freak me out. So I'm going to go back to a bunch of rules. Or we get to this place where we just say, you know what, my failures wear me out. I'm just done. I'm tired of this up and down, up and down. I'm all excited about the things of God and I'm doing good with God and then I'm flat on my face and, and I don't want to just be another embarrassment to God and it's just this process. And we see them addressed, both of them, in Galatians. Let's look at Galatians chapter 5. It says, you who are trying to be justified by the law. These are the people who slipped back into the legalism. Back into, give me a bunch of rules, I'll just do the rules. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've been alienated. You have cut yourself off from the anointed one and his anointing. That's what Christ is, his official role. You have pushed him out of his official role in your life. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. We're hoping that someday I'm going to look up and I'm going to be a more patient person than I am today. That I'm going to be a more kind and generous person than I am today. There is this hope that the life of God is going to create a different me. And what we have to do is this place of faith eagerly awaits and allows and gives God the permission to work in us little by little, moment by moment. For in Christ, 
Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. That's either trying to do everything by the book or throwing the book out the window. Neither one of them have any value. Only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You started out in grace and you slipped back over into rules. You were doing good. What? What happened? Well, what would you do? Why'd the wheels come off of this thing? It's because they got freaked out by their failures and they decided to build our own little walls to stop the failing process, which then creates more failure and alienates us from Christ. First <clears throat> John 4 says, There is no fear in love. This is, we so have to understand this. We still have to understand this because that's what happens. We start trying to throw up all the little rules in our lives as we're operating in fear. I'm afraid I can't live for God. This live for God thing is just too big. Brandon, I would do it if I could, but I just can't be a good Christian. And, and so I, I'm just, I'm just going to go be a good sinner. Now I can do that one. I'm going to be good at something. And I can't do this other one. See, then it's this fear thing. That comes in. It says there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. That's why we have to understand. That when we have the new life of Christ in us. We are heaven ready right then. Otherwise all of our little trip ups. And our shortcomings will we'll freak out and it will get back into this punishment thing and then we'll pull ourselves away from God. But if we will stay in love, that God loves us and we love Him and He's going to transform us, then we will be made perfect over that process of maturing time. That is the first <clears throat> little place where we see drift happens in our the drift trap. The second one is just getting weary. And Galatians addresses that one too. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary while we're doing the right thing. Just stay with it. Just stay with it. Just keep going over the process of time. It is going to make a difference. Whenever I was getting ready to, uh, com- to compete in the marathon uh, that I did a few years ago, um, the whole concept of running uh, or just making my feet go 26.2 miles was just incredibly, incredibly intimidating. And so you know, I started with three miles and then did five miles and then did... 10 miles and finally was sitting there and getting <clears throat> out and I would just I would just run and at this point we were traveling and I was spending a lot of time in Odessa uh, at my parents it was a little, one of our little bases and so I was in Odessa and I finally figured out that to that I could not try to live my life and live, run this race in one big chunk and what I would do is I would run to that corner and go, you know what? I can make my feet move to that corner. 
And then I would get to that corner and go, you know what? I can make it the next block. You know what? I can make it the next block. And then I had the little Nike thing in my shoe that was talking to my iPod and telling me how far I'd gone and all that fun stuff. And, and pretty soon I've gone seven miles and then I've gone eight miles and I've gone 10 miles and I've gone 14 miles whenever I wanted to quit at six miles. When I was convinced I was done at six miles, there was no way I could go any further, but I could go another block. I could go another quarter of a mile, go another block. And that's, folks, we have to make sure that as we're doing the right thing, God's called us, this life with God, this isn't a sprint. This isn't this little thing where we have this little sweet little experience with Jesus and yes, I'm done. Check that off. I had a religious experience in life. I can go on and do something else. No, this is, a, this is a whole life. This is a marathon. This is a marathon. So all we have to do is just take it a day at a time. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Deal with one day at a time. Otherwise, we get all freaked out. And as we're doing good, we'll weary down and then just cut and run and we will bail while we're in the process why because our mistakes loom large and our wins are quickly forgotten and we will bail out and give up i want us to look here at galatians 6 9 again and i want to look at the verse before it and the verse after it let's now look at the verse before it. it says the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destru- <clears throat> destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. All right? All of this is one thought flow, okay? Uh, first off, we're going to kind of look at this backwards. Um, we are needing, one of the, the key processes is working at doing good to those who are the household believers. I tell you what, some of the most frustrating people can be Christians. They just can. They just can. We, we, have, a, we have a higher um, uh, compassion for people who just don't know any better. On certain levels, you know, we see somebody, well, man, they've been in church. I've seen them in church over and over and over again. They shouldn't be acting like that. Why are they driving me up the wall this way? You know, and then there's just this assignment from the enemy to bring division and discord into the church. So it's our natural press against each other. We just naturally rub against each other. And then there's this spiritual assignment for us to not get along with each other. And it creates this havoc. And so part of our maturing process is for us to be good and being nice to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I've heard it said multiple times, it is so much easier to just go and hang out with people who aren't Christians. They're easier to deal with. Then it's, well, it's because there's an assignment to keep us separated. Why? Because there's so much good stuff that happens when we are connected. And so that's why we have to look at this first one. The one who sows to his sinful nature. Remember, in this thing of our soul, we've got multiple things happening. Okay, We've got the, our soul, we want it to grow. 
And we have to make sure that we are being led by the Spirit. We've talked about that over and over again. So if we're going to see our soul grow, we have to stay Spirit-led and not become weary in well-doing and be able to live with each other peacefully. Now let's close it down with this. This hope we have in Jesus should make us strong and secure, knowing that God is still transforming us. Hope keeps us moving forward. Hope keeps that is that anchor. It keeps us from just building a bunch of rules and setting our lives up in this little cage or from us just bailing and cutting and running and saying, you know what, I'm done with this whole trying to live for God thing. I'm out of here. Hope, knowing that God is still transforming us and being encouraged by the fact that he is actively moving in our lives. That's what keeps us moving forward. Romans 8 says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen... That's no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Okay? You know, if we say, hey, you know, I'm having trouble dealing with this area in my life. We hope and know that God is going to work in that area. And we wait for it patiently. We keep holding it as the ideal We don't go, okay, well, I'm just never going to do that, so I'm through with that. No, we keep it in front of us and hold it as the ideal. It changes everything. 1 Thessalonians says, We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance. You're anchored, you're holding, inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That is is what makes the difference. We have to do just, that's why that place of us having communion together is so important. That's why Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I've already done so you can have the hope of what he is going to do. The soul transformation is a going to do process. He is working in it and what he's already done gives us hope for what he is currently doing in us. Let's jump down to Hebrews 10:23, which says, "Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful." When I saw that unswervingly, I thought about, you know, just the old school 1950s like the uh, the T-Birds and some other old school gang facing off to play chicken. And they get their cars aimed at each other and, and just going to head on. And the last one to swerve is the one who wins, which is a stupid game. <laughs> it's just a stupid game. It's just a pure testosterone-driven stupid game. And uh, not, uh, not all testosterone-driven games are stupid, but that one is. And... Uh, <clears throat> And so, but that's the way we have to be because as the drift is coming in our face and it's going to make us want to either freak out or bail out because that's the deal. You either, you go, ah, and, and, and change lanes all at the last time or you just totally quit in chicken. We have to hold unswervingly that my God is faithful. He is going to complete this. I'm not done and he's not done either. 
And we, that's what helps us to stay with this and keep growing and keep changing. Because Christian maturity is about the life of God in us, showing the life of God through us. And this, folks, it only happens as the choices that come from our mind, our will, and our emotions are led by the Spirit. They can't be dictated by rules. They definitely are lived out by bailing out and running off. We have to allow the Spirit of God and grab on and say, God, I'm with you no matter what, and allow Him to move in our lives.